Welcome to the Destiny Youth Podcast. Destiny Youth is the youth ministry of Destiny Church based in Glasgow. Thanks for listening. On Sunday, some of you or all of you, I don't know, I can't remember who was there on Sunday, filled out a sheet at the end of the session with some questions for us on it. And some of them were amazing. Look, some I of love them are, them. are juicy. <laughs> You're challenging us and making us really think and really dive into the word of God and what he says about these things. So it's really good. It's good for us as leaders as well. So are you ready for your first question, Matt? I am ready. I have the Bible over here if we need to go into it. So. <laughs> okay, cool. So our first question that we have, that we have been asked is, can God get angry at us or just disappointed? Both. But the thing you have to remember is God is perfect in every emotion. So if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus said in John 5 that he can do nothing apart from the Father. He only does what he sees his Father do. Yet we see Jesus get angry and turn the tables over. Yet he didn't sin in his anger. So there are moments where God does feel angry, but it's a righteous anger. It's like if you see somebody getting mugged on the street and it makes you upset. That's a righteous anger. It's okay to be angry at that. As far as disappointed goes, yes. But again, he's God. He's perfect. You can feel disappointment and not be sinning in feeling the disappointment. We have such a, only a human understanding of God's personality and God's emotion. We're very limited in what we understand. So when we hear God was angry, you equate it to what you've seen on earth. You equate it to someone who isn't perfect. A lot of the times we equate it to our own fathers. So if you have a dad who flies off the handle and then, oh, well, God's your father. And in this scripture, it says God was angry. So now you have this picture of how your dad acts when he's angry. And it's just incorrect. God can feel a wide range of emotions. That's why we have emotions. We're made in his image. We just don't know how to control them. Yeah, you've just hit on what I was going to say as well. It's so important to remember that we were made in his image. And, you know, why would he give us emotions if he didn't feel those emotions as well? So I think that's really important. Okay. I really like this next one. I love this. Can you explain the Holy Trinity? Yes. Again, we have a very limited idea of God. Like if I said to you, think about something that exists outside of time. Your brain just goes blank. You don't know what to think because time is a structure in which you live in. We live in a structure of time, space, and matter. So a God that lives outside of it that created those things, we know nothing about how this guy works. Like he's, he's that amazing. But with the Trinity, the best way I've heard it described is just yell this out. What is, what is H2O? Water. So water comes in three forms. What forms are they? 
So is ice water? Is steam water? Is the liquid form water? Okay, so we've established all those things are water, but they have different forms. So if you equate that to the way that, that God is, like God is not, God the Father is not the Son. God the Son is not the Holy Spirit, yet they are all God. Just like how when I hold a piece of ice, it doesn't react in the same way that liquid would because it has a different form. So God is a spiritual being of just pure power and holiness. That's why the story of Jesus is so incredible because God humbled himself. I say it all the time, but he humbled himself and limited himself into a human body. So Jesus was still God. He was a part of God, yet still fully God. It's mind-boggling, but another way to put it is Jesus gave us the revelation of what God looks like and acts like. So if I showed you a picture of myself on my phone, is that picture me? It is and it isn't. It's not the physical me. It's a picture. It's a representation of me. A picture of myself can't go to the gym and bench 315. That's something that's reserved for me. And it's that same thing with, with, with Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is different because it is the spirit and presence of God coming down to dwell with us. Because still, if the full manifested power of God came down, all of our bodies would just be gone. Our spirits would be left, but our bodies cannot handle it. So he comes in a different form. No one can really explain it. You, you will have to experience it standing before him. That's why when Isaiah saw him in the spirit, he just couldn't handle what he saw. So... That's the best way I can explain the Trinity. Yeah, that's brilliant, Matt. Thank you. Okay, so this one kind of leads on from our last question about the Trinity. So if Jesus was God, why was he Jewish? If Jesus was God, why was he Jewish? So if we rewind back to Abraham, Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. And God made a covenant with Abraham saying that, this line would produce Jesus. So if Jesus came as like a Swede, then it wouldn't be God keeping his, his covenant. He practiced the, the Jewish customs because these were the customs that were connected to Yahweh, connected to God. So in him practicing these things, he was showing people the proper way to practice what man had set up in order to connect with God. God keeps his commandment, or his commandment, his covenant with the Jewish people by sending Jesus as a Jew. And then Jesus is an example of how to connect with God. Fantastic. 
Okay, so last one on this God section that we've got is if another if Jesus was God question. If Jesus was God, why was he worshipping God? Again, it goes back to he was a representation of how man should act on the earth. So when you, when you look at it from a standpoint of Jesus was God, why is he worshiping himself? Yeah, it seems funny. But again, an entire history of imperfect people like us were trying to figure out how do we worship this ununderstandable God? So then Jesus comes down, and even though he is God, he shows us this is how you worship the Father. This is how you pray. Because up until that point, we, we have all the info, right? We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then when we look at the Old Testament, it's like, why are they sacrificing bulls? What is this? Why are they throwing blood on a bull? That doesn't make any sense. You didn't grow up with it. It wasn't a part of your understanding. You now have the understanding of Jesus. So it does seem weird for him to be worshiping God the Father. But for a Jew who didn't know what that looked like, that was imperative for Jesus to show his disciples, this is how you worship God. And I could go into like the Pharisees and how messed up that whole thing was, but they were watching the Pharisees. These were oftentimes extremely corrupt men. All of us are corruptible. We'll never get it right. I'm sure there's things that I've said where God is like, well, hang on. But Jesus was perfect. And so he came as an example to show us how to do it in the right way. Okay. So the next question we have is, why did Jesus die for us on the cross if he could get out of it? I've asked that question myself because I wouldn't have done it. Um, I can't imagine getting on that cross and then having people mock me and spit on me, I'd be like, yeah, you know what? We're done. We're just like, broken the cross and called down thunder and lightning and just fried everyone. But it goes back to the Old Testament with the sacrifices because when sin entered into the world, what was the payment for sin? death. So when they brought the animals to be a sacrifice, the sins were transferred onto the animal. That animal was killed and that was the atonement. It was paid in death. Jesus had to die. It had to happen, whether it was on a cross or not. He had to die a sinner's death. He had to die the death and punishment of a criminal in order for those sins to be forgiven. Did he have to? Yes. Could he have like used power to make it not hurt? Sure. Could he have still went through with it and then just fried everyone? Yes. But I'm glad he didn't. None of us would be saved. and We'd be back at the old way of doing things. So could he have gotten out of it? Absolutely. Did he want to get out of it? I'm sure the human part of him did, but I'm glad he didn't. 
think it all comes also comes down to that we all have a call in our lives and Jesus knew that that was his call that he came to save us as well and he was so secure and knew that and he also knew where he was going after he knew he was going back up to heaven to be with God as well so pure obedience to yeah. to God yeah okay so the next one again kind of leads on from the last one why did the Holy Spirit come to Jesus as a dove, then as fire to the disciples? Again, none of you grew up in ancient Hebrew traditions. So we don't know what those symbols mean when we read them. But the Holy Spirit coming as these different forms was symbolic. So the, the dove descending, and it doesn't say that it was like a little bird. It says, like a dove. So the spirit appeared like a dove. But to a Jewish person, reading that, the dove represents peace. Doves also mate for life. So they're a representation of relationship and covenant. The other big thing about the dove is the representation of it as the Holy Spirit, as opposed to fire, is a constant knowing and attention to the spirit, like a dove sitting on your shoulder. You're going to move a lot more differently if you have a dove sitting on your shoulder. You'll be more focused, more relaxed. You don't want that dove to leave. So it coming down as a, as a dove to Jesus was a representation of his absolute attention to the Spirit of God, but then also that relational bond with the Spirit of God coming down. With the fire, fire is much more different. It's the same Spirit, but the fire represents power, represents light, and it represents warmth. So power, obviously the power of the Holy Spirit. In the temple... There was the lampstand with the seven flames that represented the seven spirits of God or aspects of God. So when the Holy Spirit appeared as fire, it was this revelation of the aspects of God have come to sit upon you. The power, the aspects, the guiding light of God, and the warmth and provision of God has come and sat because Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper. So if a little dove flew in the room, that'd be a whole other, like, different symbolic representation of what God was saying in this moment. Okay. Oh, I like this one. I really like this one. This is my counseling side coming out here now. How does, how does God expect us to forgive people who have, been deep, who have deeply hurt us? Say it again. How does God expect us to forgive people who have deeply hurt us? You deeply hurt God every day. Legitimately. From an emotional standpoint, we, we all experience some sort of trauma on different levels. We all experience somebody hurting us in some way. God literally forgave every single one of those sins. 
your sins, my sins, including the sins that people enacted upon you. Now, does it make those sins okay? No. Forgiveness for you is actually less about the person and more about you. I think I've said this before. Holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping that it kills the person you hate. When you forgive someone, and trust me, I've struggled with this up until I was like 27. I will we'll always have a struggle with something, but it was a major struggle as a teenager because you just hate that person. Because that's the, that's the justice on the inside of you calling out and saying, this wasn't right. Therefore, I hate this person. I wish death upon them, whatever it is. But what's crazy is that person probably doesn't spend half the time thinking about you that you do about them. They're living in your head, rent-free, and they probably forgot your middle and last name. So it is about you, you forgiving the person. Again, it doesn't make what they did right. Forgiveness is for your benefit. When you forgive somebody, it's not like you're saying, and, and Lord, even though Timothy lied about me, I forgive him. And Lord, would you bless him with a PlayStation 5? And Lord, uh, a Corvette. Just give him all the good things. It's not, it's not like that. Forgiveness looks a lot different. One of the best ways I've heard it described is, it's called a bum bag here. Is that right? The little, yeah. It's called the bum bag of forgiveness. You always need to have it on you because there will come a point where you will have to continuously forgive someone. And the way that that works, just for me and my example, Real quick story. My original, my original father left when my mom was pregnant. So I was raised by a single mom. Uh, I grew up in extreme poverty. And then as a teenager, I found out that my dad was a director of three hospitals, had property in Florida, rolling in it, and... Growing up like dirt poor, knowing that that was like he, he walked away. And then I had to grow up in that way because of his foolish decision. That, of course, would hurt anyone. But again, this guy hadn't thought of me at all. And this was a thing where I had to consistently, something would pop up in my head about my dad and I have to go into the bum bag of forgiveness and God, I, for, I forgive him. And over time, what happens is you have to forgive less and less and less. And the time period starts to stretch out to where I haven't had to forgive my dad in like eight years. Beforehand, it was like every other day. It's like, God, I want him dead. It's like, <sighs> Now I, I forgive him. Forgiveness is it, it's a process. It's never a one and done. Anyone who tells you that where it's like, oh, you need to forgive them and move on. 
That's wishful thinking. Consistently forgive. It won't be a one-time thing. And then I'll add this as the last bit. Jesus himself said, if you don't forgive, I can't forgive you. That's horrifying. If you don't forgive, I can't forgive you. That's like right under there with, with pride being at the top, a refusal to repent, right underneath it is a refusal to forgive. You have to watch out for both. But God not only expects you to forgive and asks you to forgive, Jesus commands it. You have to forgive. Yeah. And I think it's so important to remember that if we don't walk in that forgiveness and if we don't live in that forgiveness all the time, we're never going to find our true healing. And it's something that I, as a trainee counsellor, experience in the counselling room with, not with real clients at the moment, but almost in a few months, um, we experience it so much. Like, you, ha you have that privilege of walking people into that and helping them find that for themselves. Not being that fix, but helping them find that, that healing and that able to just be like, you know what, I forgive you. And it could be something that they've harbored for 50 years and they finally come to that place where they're like, I need to do something about this. And I think it's so important. And it's so important to remember that God forgives us every single day. Yes. Every single day. Yeah. And I mean what I said, we deeply hurt God every day. Yeah. He... If anyone has been hurt the most, it's God. He's got how many people have there been since the beginning of time? And each one of them is his children. Think about that. All of those people have done something against him, denied him in some way. He has every right to be angry, but he's not. If we still sin, but act like Jesus and follow Jesus, how are we supposed to get into heaven? Let me reverse it. So if we act like Jesus and follow Jesus but still sin, how are we supposed to get into heaven? Forgiveness yes. and repentance. <laughs> We've just answered it, I think. Uh, it, really, it's simple as that. The, the forgiveness of God is powerful as long as there's repentance. You can have a struggle for a vast majority of your life. Most of the time, two different things happen. Well, three one, people find freedom from it, which is great. It's a miraculous freedom that they find. Two, they accept it. And they just say, oh, that's just, that's who I am. I'm just going to be this person. And that's incorrect thinking. Will God have mercy upon that? I don't want to gamble with that. You can try it, but I wouldn't gamble with it. And then the third one is they struggle with it every single day of their life but they always go back into repentance. And one thing that I, that I tell people who feel like they have a struggle with something continuously, they're like, I just, it's almost every day, I just, I can't stop. Ask yourself if you want to stop. If there's a desire to stop and you haven't just accepted that this is who you are, then you're still on a good path. You just need a swift kick in the pants. That's basically what you need. You need accountability. 
you need somebody to be behind you, kind of, you know, cracking the whip a little bit, holding you accountable to things. But as long as you have the heart of repentance, I think whenever you stand before God, you could struggle with something your whole life. But if you consistently were like, man, I'm, I need to break this. I want to break this because I love you and I want to obey. He, he has grace for that. I forgot what the question was already. What was it? <laughs> well, you've answered it. You're okay. 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 Why does God turn away from the people in Matthew 7, verse 21? So in that scripture, it's basically Jesus is saying that when people come to heaven, They'll say, oh, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We healed the sick. And then he'll say, get away from me. I don't know who you are. I've said this so many times. It's the scariest scripture in the Bible. So he turns them away. First, we have to define who these people are. These are people who have either falsely used the name of Jesus in ministry, where their ministry has become about them, they've been so filled with pride to where the entire ministry is about their face. It's about the money they're making. It's about the likes on Instagram. And that relationship that maybe they had with God in the beginning is no longer there. They've become a celebrity and they've completely walked away. That's one explanation of, of those people. A second one is going to be, and this is, this is shocking, but someone who served in the church and never got right with God. Like I said, it's, it's shocking because church without the relationship with God is just religion. It's just rule keeping. And so if a rule keeper goes and stands before God and says, oh, but I was, I was serving at the church. I went to church. I went to church on Easter and Christmas. It's like, yeah, I never knew you. You came to the party and, and you, you ate the food, but you never talked to me. You never repented. Those, those are the people he's, he's turning away. You have to remember, God is so full of grace. But you have to be in that relationship with him. And I'll go into this really fast. The whole once saved, always saved thing. There's an element of truth, but there's also a fallacy in that. Because nowhere in the Bible can you find a sinner's prayer. It's not in there. We lead people in a sinner's prayer. But if you just like crack open the Bible one day and then and Jesus, please forgive me. I'm a sinner, blah, blah, blah. And there's no meaning behind it. And you're just saying words. Did you really repent? Did you really want to enter into that relationship with God? Or did you just repeat something? It's also the explanation behind if a, if a dumb person, someone who can't speak, if a dumb person can't recite the sinner's prayer, can they not be saved? It's ridiculous. It's a decision made with the heart, not with your mouth. You make the decision with your heart, and then you declare it. 
The decision has to be made first. And then it's declared. So, really the, the bad guys in this scenario are the false teachers. The people who want to sell you convenient religion. Religion that's just about coming to a building. Religion that says, oh, you can totally engage in the carnality of your human flesh. There's no need for repentance. I've heard this preached. There's no need for repentance because when Jesus died on the cross, it paid for everything. You don't have to change a thing. When the pastor who said that gets to heaven and God sees him, I don't want to be that guy because now he is responsible for every single person that came forward that never got right with God, that never repented, thinking, I'm okay. They are responsible. So those are the people who he's going to be turning away. Okay. I think we still have time for a few more. So, um, If God is good, then why did he ask Abraham to kill his son? That's a fun one. So everyone probably knows the story. God speaks to Abraham. He says, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham is super old. Finally, he has a son named Isaac. And then God says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. Again, without context of history, we don't fully know the story. So historically, every other people group around Abraham at this time practiced child sacrifice. So this was just a normal practice for everyone living at that time. The gods needed a sacrifice, sacrifice your children so that you could have a good rainy season. So this was common. When he heard God say this, Abraham wasn't shocked. I'm sure he was upset because like, I asked for one child and I have this child and now you want me to sacrifice him? Okay, let's see how this goes. God never had an intention of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. What God wanted to see was, is Abraham going to obey me? And the second thing is, God wanted to prove to Abraham that he was not like the other pagan little g gods. This was him proving to Abraham, I am not like the evil that's out there. But think, think of it like this. No one can prove to you that they're not evil unless there's an action. If God had just said to Abraham, yeah, I'm not evil. It's fine. Okay, cool, thanks. But if Abraham thinks that God is going to ask him to do something that all these other gods are asking him to do, and then he starts thinking, oh, but hang on, but you promised this, so are you going to raise my son from the dead? Like, what's, what's going to happen? How are you going to keep your covenant and your promise? It was never God's intention. It was for those reasons that he did it, and it was foreshadowing of God giving his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice. Everything in the Bible happens with reflection to what's happening in the future. Everything that happens in the future in the Bible happens with a reflection to what happened in the past. It's all one story. The Old Testament points to Jesus. Jesus points back to the Old Testament. 
And then even with us, like there's so many times that you can go throughout your life where there's a thing that you experience and then you're like, oh, you know what? This is actually a lot like what was happening to Job. This is a lot like what was happening to Daniel. It's all a repeating story of reflections. So it was, it was a reflection of Jesus being provided. Why did God allow Satan to tempt Eve? Why did he allow Satan to tempt Eve? Uh, free will. God is a good God. He's not a tyrant. I was actually speaking with Mo about this earlier. There are societies that you live in where you are either a citizen or you're a subject. God did not want subjects. He wanted children. He wanted family. So what's great is, as an American, I never want to be a subject to anyone. We will revolt again. I want to be a citizen. I have rights as a citizen. As a subject, you have no rights. But it's extra when you're royalty of the king, when you are a child of the guy in charge. It's great when that person is not corrupt. Unfortunately, there's a lot of corruption in the world where, like, presidents' sons and kings' sons do, you know, whatever. But we won't get into that. So God allows free will because he doesn't want robots. If I force somebody to love me, that's not real love. God's not going to force you to do anything. Even with Satan, when Satan fell because of his original sin, God was just like, okay, Satan, you want to try this out your way? Go ahead. The angels have free will too. The angels aren't floating around in heaven, thus saith the Lord. They, they make choices. They serve God because they love God. The third that fell with Satan decided to fall with him. So every bit of his creation has free will because he's a good God and not a tyrant. So when you look at Adam and Eve, why did he allow Satan to tempt Eve? Because of choice. If there was never, I'll put it this way. There's a stove in my house. If I tell my kids, don't touch the stove, they have a choice. I'm not going to remove the stove from my home. It's important that I have a stove. But if I tell them, don't touch the stove, and then I remove the stove, there's no longer a choice. They can't choose to obey me out of love at that point, and that's what God wanted. He wanted obedience out of love, but he still provided a choice. And he said the same thing to them as he said to Satan. This is the way you want to do it? Okay. He didn't just smite. If he did, then he'd be a dictator, and he wouldn't be a good God. And it's absolutely amazing how we love free will. We absolutely love it. I want to make my own decisions. I'm my own person. You love it until you experience the aftermath of your own decisions, and then you blame God. It's like me telling my kid not to touch the stove, and then they go and touch it, and they go, Dad, you did this to me. But that's what we do on a daily basis. God is like, hey, I put these rules in place to protect you because I love you. Don't do these things because it will lead to destruction. 
And we're like, oh, well, I want to be my own person. I, want, I just want to have the experience. Eh, touch stove. Why, God? It's ridiculous. We all love free will, but we don't know how to deal with our own consequences. And unfortunately, in order for there to be true love, there has to be cause and effect. There has to be choice. Because if there's not a choice, then it's just, it's, it's slavery. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important to look at that and take a lesson from it and actually think about, well, what are the, the consequences if I do take that action? You know, and really think about it before you make a choice. Really, like, yeah, just go over it and think about, well, actually, what's going to happen if I do make that choice? You know, is it really a good choice or is it a really silly choice to make? I think you're going to like this one again, Matt. If God is so good, why does he allow suffering? Because you made the choice. I love this question, though, because it, it goes back again to... I love free will. I love making my own choices. I love this. You can choose to jump off a cliff. I guarantee you, there's some people out there that are so brain dead. Man, they would jump off a cliff and then blame God for hitting the bottom. It, it, it's hilarious because you see people who aren't religious, whatever, they don't believe in a God. But then when some catastrophe happens, all of a sudden God's to blame. All of a sudden, you believe that there's some man up in the clouds controlling all of the tornadoes. It's ridiculous. The fact is, we live in a fallen world. We gave dominion over to sin when we decided to sin. And where there is sin present, there's always destruction that follows. So because there's free will, because there's choice, evil people can make evil choices. And it can sometimes affect the innocent. But the fact is, none of us are innocent. Look at Jesus, the most innocent person there was. People still spat on him, beat him, ripped his beard out. If Jesus was the most innocent person and he went through such suffering, why do you think that you get a get-out-of-jail-free card? There's going to be some form of suffering just because that's the world that we live in. Unless all of humanity gets together and just decides, hey, we're not going to make bad choices anymore, there's still going to be suffering happening. That's just the way of the world until God comes back, sets it right, and evil is destroyed. And again, think about your choices before you make them because it's not going to affect just you. It's going to affect other people. One person in government can make a dumb choice and it can affect all of the citizens. You never know what your choice is going to do. The good part about it is even if you make a wrong choice, if there's repentance, God can make that choice, turn it around for good. Like, it, it, it still baffles me. Uh, people who are surprised that they got pregnant out of wedlock. It's like, you, you knew. You knew what this leads to. You knew this was a risk. This is literally what this act is for. That's like me walking up to Ollie and punching him and then being surprised that it hit him in the face. That's what the act is for, and yet you're surprised at the outcome. 
But even with, because I have several friends that had children out of wedlock, and then those children are blessings. And that's what's so evil about something like abortion is God can have a great plan for this child who everyone else thought was an accident. But really, God knew. And God still made a plan. God still, in his goodness, was like, hey, you made a mistake, but I didn't make a mistake. This life that you thought was a mistake, I created, and it's going to be good. And it's going to contribute to the kingdom of God. But again, this is what the world teaches. No consequences. Do whatever you want, it's fine. Oh my gosh, a consequence? Oh, well, it's not your fault. Let's shift the blame. It's the baby's fault. How dare that baby grow inside of you? It's a parasite. Just leads you deeper and deeper and deeper into more heartache, into more bad choices. That's why you absolutely have to be careful because the enemy will get you with what you think is just a small choice. And that small choice just throws you in the deep end. It's like the drop-offs at Loch Lomond. You can be walking out there and it's like ankle deep, knee deep, and then all of a sudden, that's exactly what your choices are like. And then you want to blame God that you're drowning when you're the one that walked out there. I think we have time for one more. I was going to say, I think we've got time for one more. Okay. Are you ready to go deep again, Matt? Yes. That's another deep one. Why did the Holocaust take place? Why did the Holocaust take place? Again, cause and effect. And this is what you have to be extremely careful of, is don't be tricked into believing something that's a lie. I don't know if they have you study Hitler or the Nazi regime in school here, but Hitler was a master manipulator through the the propaganda machine, through schools, through getting people while they were young. And you're seeing the exact same playbook happen now. The enemy loves to get people when they're young and impressionable. Because if they can get you thinking one way, they know that scientifically, once you turn about 30 years old, you're kind of set. Like your ideologies are going to stay the same. Just scientifically, that's what happens in your brain. As a teenager, your mind is so malleable. And we're seeing the effect of this now in the world. There's people thinking men can get pregnant. Like, I never thought this would be up for a debate. But it's because people were fed this at a young age, and people just believed something. I'm going to brag on Tiger for a second. This is what I love about Tiger. If you tell Tiger anything, he's like, do you have a source? Which is exactly... Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah. But people need to do that. Don't just stupidly listen to somebody. Don't just stupidly listen to me. Go look at what I talked about in the Bible. It has the answers for you. Don't just listen to what somebody has to say. Because I'm telling you, this is not me being mean. Some of the stupidest people have the loudest voices right now. It's nuts. Absolutely ridiculous out there. What, what was it today, Lucas? The, what's that game... Pal World, how many of you know the game Pal World? Okay, a few of you do. This is how ridiculous it is, okay? 
Pal World is this video game where you can go and like catch these animals. Uh, it's like Pokemon, but then there's also like hunting and farming it involved. So PETA, everyone know PETA? Protection of animals and nonsense. Vegan. PETA condemns the video game for violence against animals. And then they're going to release a player's guide on how to play the game as a vegan. But this is how ridiculous this is. This same group of people, if you look at the things they support, this same group of people who are complaining about a bunch of little animals made up of computer code that don't exist, <laughs> that are upset about those animals being harmed, but they're 100% okay with calling a fetus a clump of cells and it should be aborted because it's not a human. It makes no sense. From a logical standpoint, from a science standpoint, it makes no sense. Go look for the truth. Don't just take someone's word for it because you'll end up being angry at a video game for animal cruelty. What was the question? Him, why did the Holocaust happen? Yes. <laughs> or, why, yeah, why did the Holocaust yeah. happen? So, don't take someone's word for it. Don't listen to any sort of propaganda machine. Everything that you hear has to be put through Scripture, has to be put through the Word of God. Otherwise, you will go completely left field in a place that you didn't know that you could go into. And again, we're seeing the exact same thing happen now with, with the like, Palestine versus Israel thing. You've got people yelling anti-Semitic stuff in the streets of London saying, eradicate the Jews. Where have I heard that before? Because people just listened to something and went with it. And now there's an entire people group that they're calling for the eradication of. That's why the Holocaust happened. Sheep. When you don't listen to God, when you don't run information through the word of God, you're just a consumer. You're a sheep. That's why Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. We're all stupid. We need the good shepherd to lead us on the right path. And unfortunately, there's people out there who are wolves in sheep's clothing who are leading people down the wrong path. It's a ton of wolves out there. Most of them are on Instagram, giving you five seconds of information that you're not going to go and look up, and now you have this ideology planted in your head. You have to run everything through the Word of God. If you don't, you will be lost, and you will fall into the same thing. Like I said, history is a reflection of the future. The future is a reflection of history. We are seeing the reflections now of what was happening then. Be careful, run everything through scripture. 